everyone. My name's Veronica Roberts. I'm an antitrust partner at Herbert Smith Freehills and head of our global foreign investment group. And joining me today is Mike Flockhart, a corporate partner at HSF, and Gregor Irwin, chief economist at Global Council. This is the first episode in our foreign direct investment podcast series, which is hosted jointly by HSF and Global Council. Across this series, we're going to be analysing drivers and recent developments in key foreign direct investment regimes, and we'll be highlighting the strategic considerations faced by transaction parties in navigating regulatory clearances for foreign direct investment. In this, our first episode, we're going to look at how foreign direct investment regimes are evolving, emphasising the areas where we're seeing change and the key legal and political drivers for that change. Later in this series, we're going to look in-depth at foreign direct investment regimes, including the UK, Europe, the US, Australia and Southeast Asia, including China. So, to open the discussion, I think it'd be useful to understand at the outset, both politically and legally, what changes we're seeing in foreign direct investment regulation at a macro level, Gregor? Thanks, Veronica. Um, Well, governments in OECD countries have long sought to strike a balance between seeking to attract foreign direct investment and scrutinising the terms on which such investments uh, are being made. What we've seen over the past 10 years or so is a marked shift in how that balance is being struck in many countries, including in the US and in Europe. Uh, Whereas 10 years ago, the typical approach was for governments to set out a limited set of circumstances under which they might intervene for national security reasons. We're now seeing much more restrictive regimes which are also being enforced more aggressively. In the US, for example, CFIUS reviews have been instrumental in the collapse of deals such as the proposed acquisition of MoneyGram by Ant Financial Services in 2018 and the 2017 bid for Lattice Semiconductor Uh, by Canyon Bridge um, also collapsed for similar reasons. The result from a practical perspective is that the balance has shifted away from governments seeking to attract FDI towards much more careful scrutiny of the terms on which such investments are being made, with more investments actually being blocked. And what about from the legal perspective, Mike? From a legal perspective, we are seeing the introduction of new or revised regimes to seek to reserve as much discretion as possible to governments. Governments justify this approach by reference to the overriding importance attached to protecting national security. From a policy perspective, this is very difficult to rebut. However, this discretion translates into legal regimes that can be difficult to predict and create uncertainty for transacting parties. This creates a burden for business and advisers as they seek to navigate how different regimes will be applied in the absence of clear decisional practice and binding guidance. Gregor, what would you attribute these changes to? Is it simply a result of a political shift to the right in key global economies? Well, there are several economic and political trends which are combining to change the way in which governments regard foreign investments. Uh, The first is technology. Uh, Increasingly, growth is being driven by investment in technology and the exploitation of intellectual property. Uh, And we're now seeing global competition in areas like artificial intelligence, 5G networks and fintech. Now, with that comes genuine national security concerns when the ownership and control of technology changes. A second trend is in the scale and direction 
of foreign investment flows. Uh, Ten years ago, the debate uh, was all about how US and European firms could access China to invest there. But since then, we've seen an upsurge in Chinese investment in OECD countries, with other Asian countries also becoming uh, big foreign investors. Third trend is protectionism. Uh, The past 10 years have been marked by sluggish income growth for most people in many of the most advanced economies, and that's provided fertile ground for populism. And with that, we've seen a shift towards protectionism in traditionally open economies, most notably the US and many countries in Europe as well. That change in tone and policy, though, has also been reflected in other parts of the world. So these three trends, the increasing importance of tech, uh, the surge in outward investment from China and Asia, an increase in populism and protectionism, they're all combining to change the environment for foreign investment. And do you think further changes on the horizon, Gregor? Well, these trends are all, um, uh, they're more structural than cyclical. So they're likely to be long lasting, but, but, but we are also likely to see uh, some further changes uh, uh, as well. The, the politicisation of FDI means that the nationality and identity of the investor is increasingly important. Um, however, the, the nature of the political pressure on governments means that scrutiny of the intentions of investors is also becoming much more important. As company Ownership and supply chains become increasingly diverse, spanning numerous jurisdictions. Uh, Governments are battling to understand and anticipate the local impact this has on the economy and society. Uh, And that could involve, uh, for example, the uprooting of high value activities from one location to another as ownership changes or, or perhaps more subtle impacts on broader notions of distributive fairness. So governments are coming under more pressure to use whatever influence they have, be it formal or informal, uh, to lock down high-value supply chain activity in their home markets. And increasingly, the permissibility of the investment um, will be determined by the commitments that can be extracted to do just that. I think we're also likely to see a bigger emphasis on reciprocity in investment regimes. And and this is, in fact, um, what we're seeing uh, right now in the negotiations between the US and China. And I would say if one occurred at a practical level um, for parties, we continue to see and we will continue to see procedural change at an individual country level, particularly as some of the more recent legislative changes bed in. Uh, key examples of that recently, I think, include the UK, EU and, and Germany. So, Mike, as governments seek to carve out a greater role in foreign investment screening, what are the implications for parties considering investments that may be caught? The implications are twofold. Firstly, and at a substantive level, parties will need to take a holistic view as to whether they're going to face foreign investment scrutiny and where. And then secondly, at a procedural level, they will need to map out the implications for their transaction timeframe. 
substantively parties are going to need to consider what compromises or binding commitments they may be willing to give or or not to give uh, in order to get deals through. As we've seen in a spate of recent decisions, this could include a commitment to local investment and employment targets, retaining headquarters locations and allowing government to hold low value but decisive equity stakes. As regimes formalise, there is an increasing sanctions toolkit available to governments if businesses fail to follow through on these commitments, and that's something else that parties will need to give thought to in advance. From a deal management perspective, parties will continue to need to identify jurisdictions where filings may be required. This is not a new phenomenon. Um, we have for many years been doing this for antitrust, and there have been FDI regimes in jurisdictions like Canada, Australia and the US for, for many years. Um, But the number of countries in which this will need to be considered is growing and the threshold is often fairly low. Uh, The risk for newer regimes uh, comes from the uncertainty and the lack of precedent, the UK being a prime example of that. Uh, And in practice, parties are therefore going to have to agree risk allocation through appropriate conditions precedent and break fees, reverse break fees and other mechanisms uh, to ensure there is clarity as, as between the parties where the risk lies. In respect of deal timeframes, parties are going to have to allow for engagement with government and, as appropriate, factor in timescales for formal reviews. This is likely to involve procedural management similar to that undertaken for cross-border merger control filings. So what strategies would you both advocate for parties navigating foreign investment controls? Should we start with you, Mike? I think those looking at transactions which involve foreign investment need to scale up preemptive planning and their engagement strategies parties will need to have identified possible risk areas and have formulated a comprehensive multi-jurisdictional approach, often before they even approach the target, but certainly well ahead of announcing any transaction. Um, this, this plan will need to recognise that we're seeing greater level of cooperation and information sharing between governments, either on a formal or informal basis. So a comprehensive and consistent strategy needs to be adopted from the outset. Thanks, Mike. And some final advice from you, Gregor? Well, I I would perhaps add uh, three pieces of advice. Um, The first is to anticipate your critics. Uh, Some investments will always raise a red flag, for example, where the acquirer is uh, state-backed. Others are less obvious, but nevertheless potentially problematic. The point uh, to keep in mind is that anything which could look like corporate social irresponsibility to local political stakeholders will face more scrutiny. Second piece of advice is um, to prepare the grounds. Uh, The financial capacity to buy and a sound business cases is no longer enough. In many cases, um, you you often also need uh, an informal license to buy that is earned through careful, sensitive political engagement. And that that may involve making compromises uh, and increasingly Uh, also binding commitments. Uh, The third last piece of advice is is to do this in a structured way. Uh, In many cases, uh, the best way to do that is is upfront due diligence of the policy and political implications of major cross-border deals. Thanks, Gregor and Mike, for those fascinating insights. So that was the first in our series of podcasts on foreign direct investment. We're going to be releasing episodes on a weekly basis. Next week, we're going to take an in-depth look at the current regime in the UK, how mergers can be assessed on national security grounds, as well as the government's proposals for a new FDI regime.